The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. It's mainly about like looking at problems and finding sort of an unthought of way to solve a problem that hasn't been thought of before, you know, but sort of starting from this problem perspective. And that, you know, this invention that we call digital electricity really came way back from that first business where we were working with the first battery. When they came out at, at that time, lithium ion batteries were exotically expensive and dangerous. They were volatile. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 5, welcome back. First time listeners, you are in the right place if you're looking for a show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's guest, we had Max Loso on. He's the CEO of Agrolution. Max has a vision for bringing the revolutionary concept of CEA to every home and to allow everyone to grow their own nutritious plants. And we had a great discussion about the work he and his co-founder have done to develop his personal vertical farming system. So please check that out if you haven't already. Hey, Terry, I'm dropping in for a quick reminder that Indoor Ag Tech returns to Brooklyn, New York on June 23rd to 24th. And it's a gathering of the world's leading growers, retailers, investors, seed companies, and technology providers to meet, network, and cultivate, pun intended, new commercial relationships. Key themes covered during the two days will be regenerating cities, tackling labor shortages, reducing costs and energy usage, plant science and seed optimization, beyond leafy greens, finance and investment, scalability and profitability, communicating with the consumer, and collaboration and partnership. It's going to be a jam-packed two days of content and connection. Can't wait to see you all there. IndoorAgTechNYC.com and let them know Harry sent you. This week, we have a fascinating discussion with Stephen Eves, the CEO and founder of Volt Server. I was really fascinated when I saw them at Indoor AgCon in Vegas, and I was Grateful for the opportunity to have a deeper dive with Stephen about the concept of digital electricity. Stephen has over 20 years of experience in the energy industry and has a passion for doing things that have never been done before. He's an expert in battery management, power electronics, and energy infrastructure, and has 15 patents issued or pending related to energy storage and power conversion. In this episode, we talk about the origin story of Volt Server and the technology behind digital electricity. He shares his thoughts on where this can benefit vertical farming and what the future holds for both industries and high-tech power distribution. Really fascinating stuff. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFB. I'd love to read yours out next. Okay, let's jump into this conversation with Stephen. So Stephen Eves. CEO and founder at Volt Server. Thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you. Where are you uh, calling in from? Where's home? East Greenwich, Rhode Island is where the office is. Just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Is that uh, has that been home for you for a while? Are you originally from there? Yeah, I've been in been in Rhode Island about twenty five years. Okay. Yeah, it's a very yeah, it's just a very pretty area. And. The- What's a little known fact about the area you're in that um, most people who don't live there wouldn't know about? 
Well, let's see. Everybody knows it's like it's the setting for Family Guy. That's what what it's famous for. Yeah. <laughs> Little known facts. Well, let's see that the the, uh, the state food is calamari. Okay, <laughs> didn't know that. But uh, how are you? You enjoy the uh, the change of seasons there? It's just about right for me. It's got to change. It doesn't get too too cold or too hot. I mean, it, it does get pretty cold and rainy certain part of the year. But yeah, yeah, I like it. it's a nice. It's definitely a nice mix. Those I first heard about or saw Volt Server mentioned at Indoor AgCon. It was my first vertical farming conference that I attended in Las Vegas earlier this year. And I believe you guys had a booth there. And then I connected with your brother. And um, I think he was on stage. He spoke at one of the sessions as well. So it was an introduction to, to some of the interesting things you were doing. And from what I've heard, the feedback that you got at the conference was pretty positive. Yeah, it was great. It was off the hook. You know, it was a really good place that with the food business people too. Yeah. The Food Buyers Association. And it, was that the first conference where you were displaying or you had a booth set up? We've been in some of the cannabis conferences earlier, which we saw as, you know, it was really an initial market for all this stuff where, you know, the, the customers have higher margin levels and things like that. But we've always believed that the food industry was where the long game was and the business. So talk to me uh, a little bit about uh, your background for folks that uh, don't know you. I, I know you have a background in in engineering, and, and that's what you studied, and, and that was part of your earlier businesses as well. So maybe just wind the clock a little bit before we get into the origins of Volt Server. But have you always been fascinated with uh, you know electrical engineering as a passion? Yeah, it's, I've, I've focused around the energy space probably for the last 25 years through a series of you know startups. So this is my third uh, startup yeah. business. And um the previous one was a lithium ion battery company for industrial batteries. And then before that was uh, it's a small company that was sort of a, you know, a boutique company for energy management and controls like fuel cells and advanced batteries and things like that. Has this always since graduating from college, has this always been a passion for you just uh, in terms of like the energy space and obviously working with lithium and, and now with the work you're doing at Volt Server, just looking for different solutions for some of the challenges and, and problems we face as a society when it comes to uh, all the energy we do consume on a daily basis? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, it, it's really sort of maybe not even a passion and obs- obsession, you know, to do things that are new. And that have impact and energy, it just happens that energy is so foundational to everything. So working in that field is very impactful. So I just sort of settled into that naturally as, you know, folks want to work on things that have some importance, you know, they spend their time. Yeah. On so I felt like it was a really good area to spend my time in. What were some of the learnings from some of those earlier companies, the lithium ion industry? And I imagine there was a lot of on the job learnings as well as you were discovering the ins and outs of that industry. But I'm just curious, what were some of your takeaways from those endeavors? Some of them were positive and some of them not so much, you know, a lot of early, a lot of early learning. I worked with my, my wife in the first business and she helped a lot for establishing basic things in business like quality management and yeah you know right away we got involved with very high level projects in that first business like satellites and military projects and things like that and we were we were just coming out of the basement as a business and uh, like uh managing quality you know connecting with these big sort of uh institutional companies that run programs was it was pretty fast acceleration for us. Yeah, a lot of sleepless sleepless nights. Yeah. What were the these the some? How big did you build those companies? They were all pretty small. The first one had twelve or thirteen engineers. Okay. You know, and the the next one was twenty twenty five folks okay. in the company, and then this this company is about currently about forty six. So all okay. You know, I I enjoy being in the early stages. You know, of companies, it's a lot of fun. It's not, it's not easy. It's definitely not boring. <laughs> what is it about starting a company that really gets you excited or keeps you motivated? Well, you're always, you're always learning, you know, expanding quickly. It feels good. You know, I think certain folks are attuned to it, you know, to be in that undefined space. I mean, everywhere you go is kind of new. 
which means you're also getting, you know, it's like going through the woods without any path. You're getting scratched up and hit in the face with branch and all that stuff, but it's never boring, you know? And so, yeah, it just goes back to trying to, I really have a passion or as I said, an obsession to do things that haven't been done before that are different, you know, uniquely different. Is that a trait that you've had all your life? Is that something that you remember going back to being, you know, younger childhood or, or some something your, your family would point to? Yeah, it's always, I mean, I think uh, I always tell the story by first electrical circuit was just a ball of wire that I found in the basement. I twisted together and I, I brought it up to my mom, you know, which I have to give her a lot of credit for trust. And I just had her plug it in and it was nighttime. So she plugged it in and it was a big blue flash and all the lights went out in the house. And she was just, I remember just sitting there in the dark. She goes, don't tell your father. That's what I remember from it. Where did you get the idea for that? For twisting the wires together? I actually was influenced by, interestingly enough, a woman. I mean, my aunt was a very early engineer. She was one of the founders of the Society of Women Engineers, which is a huge organization now. And she always, she always brought things to me when I was a child that were broken and just threw, you know, threw them in my room and said, well, can you fix this for me? I thought I was doing her a big favor. She was just challenging me to understand the, you know, the equipment. And at that time, there wasn't, there was very little what they call safety agency approvals, like what we know as Underwriters Laboratory, the little marks on the back. So back then, things would just catch on fire, like if something was wrong with them, they would just burn, you know, and they were, you know, the materials were flammable. There was no real fusing or controls. Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, that's how I got influenced way back then as a child. Did you end up watching any of the biographies of like Edison or Tesla and, and just how you know some of the inspired by some of the the early inventors as well? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, going all the way back to like uh you know, there's a great book called Devil in the White City. It's about the uh the Chicago World's Fair. It was eighteen ninety seven, I think, almost at the end of that of the 1800s, but that's where it was kind of all decided. You know, there was such a great book. It talked about, you know, Edison and, and basically Westinghouse and Edison were fighting for, you know, distribution. And this, this is a lot like that. This kind of has aspects of, you know, Edison had lower voltage that was considered safe DC power and Tesla had high voltage that could go long distances and so Edison lost that contract because of the amount of copper. It was low voltage. So to get it across the park, you know, the, the, the fairgrounds, it required a huge amount of copper and expense. So that's kind of where all that happened. Like, so Westinghouse won that contract and that went on from there. They went on and did the uh, Niagara Falls generation plant. And that's where it really momentum took off. But back then there wasn't any things like we have today, there wasn't power electronics or semiconductors, digital signal processing. So, you know, this, you know, the invention that we were talking about today is, is sort of a fusion of all those things It has the, uh, the high voltage characteristics of Tesla, but the safety aspects of Edison in a digital format. So we call it, you know, we call it a third form, you know, AC and then DC, we call this DE, which is, you know, digital electricity. Yeah, that's a it's a fascinating story. I'm always I've always been fascinated by Nikola Tesla because I feel like there was something about what he was doing that was so way ahead of his time, and you know he unfortunately ended penniless, <laughs> and then he didn't really get to. He was so ahead of his time, he wasn't able to capitalize. And Edison was the better businessman, and uh, you know was able to capitalize on on his inventions. But I, it's fascinating to think about what's possible and what was possible then. You know how far ahead of the curve they you know, someone like Tesla was. And now we're starting to see, you know, and some of the stuff we'll be talking about today, how some of that stuff comes to fruition. But I'm always fascinated to think about, you know, how people are inspired, what inspires people, like how they come up with these ideas. And I don't know how it is for you, if it's just a process of constant iteration and tweaking and making things better, or if, if in fact it is truly just flashes of inspiration from some other field that, you know, really allow you to think differently about, about a problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, for me, you know, it's for me, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm in the category of what they call the flash of genius or flash of inspiration. It's, it's mainly about 
like looking at problems and finding sort of an unthought of way to solve a problem that hasn't been thought of before, you know, but sort of starting from this problem perspective. And, you know, this invention that we call digital electricity really came way back from that first business where we were working with the first batteries. So when they came out at that time, lithium ion batteries were exotically expensive and dangerous. They were volatile. Yeah, they were catching fire. Yeah. So we were trying to figure out how to, you know, our, our work back then was how to create arrays of batteries, right? And I mean, that's a whole nother story. Some of the work we did became what you know as the Tesla battery today, which is a, a massive redundant array of cells. So back then we were working with a company called AC Propulsion, which was this little tiny company that never got a lot of credit for all the great things that happened in electric vehicle development, but they did a lot of it. Alan Cacconi was the principal there and these other guys. That I, there won't be enough time to cover that great story, but those guys, like, whenever I get a chance to give credit, I always try to call out AC Propulsion because of all the work they did. The, uh, they had a vehicle called the T-Zero, which became, you know, as you might know, like uh, Elon Musk wasn't the founder, you know, the original founder of Tesla. You know, I think it was Martin Eberhardt is the name of the guy, if I, if I recall correctly. But we, you know, we were working with that very little, co- that little company, AC Propulsion. And on that project, which that redundant cell technology became my second business. But this invention was trying to figure out how to make electricity safe to touch, even at high voltage, so that you could do things like energize roadways and garage floors and things yeah. like that. That was the original sort of problem to be solved with this invention. We'll hopefully get back to that as time goes on. It wasn't our first market when we actually launched. You mentioned, obviously, that company, but were there other folks along the way that you partnered with, that mentored you, or you know that, that, you, know, that you had good relationships with that, that helped you and that you can credit for where you are now? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like Stanford Oshinsky from Ovonics, who he's the inventor, what well, he's passed now, but the inventor of the nickel metal hydride battery, that technology is in the Prius now, but he was a very colorful character that worked in early electric vehicle development. His, and he, he always showed like in the front office as he came into his building, their first battery worked with his wife. But the first battery was made in a toilet paper roll. Kind of the springy thing, not the, not the cardboard thing, but the springy thing that goes in the wall. That they built their first battery with that. He was quite the character. Yeah, Tom McReady out of uh, at Aerovironment, okay. which some of the folks from AC Propulsion came from Aerovironment. Tom Gage was out of there. Great, yeah, great people that were very influential to me. So, talk to me a little bit about the origin story of, of Volt Server because at that point you had uh, started and, and exited a couple of companies. So we're, t- we're going back now, 2012, but how did the idea come about and what, what was the problem you were looking to solve or what was the opening that you saw in the industry that you're looking to fill? Yeah, it was. it originally started, as I mentioned, was to try to go after electric vehicle technology to allow batteries to be extended over long ranges, like on, yeah, on highway surfaces. And we did a lot of work that said if, if you could effectively charge on the highway and you only had a hundred mile range on the vehicle, you could go almost anywhere in the country without too much trouble. You just had to get back to a highway to recharge. And then it was just, it's a little bit difficult because there's nothing like digital electricity. It's, it, there's nothing out there where you can touch wires and it knows the difference between you and a vacuum cleaner or something, right? If you expose the power wires, you just look like another load on the power wires. There's something called a ground fault interrupter, which is a separate sort of conventional device. I'm talking about the actual power conductors that go to the vacuum cleaner. And um, and a lot of like a vacuum cleaner today, doesn't even have a ground wire. It's just two wires. You can't touch those with regular electricity, have the electricity know you're being electrocuted because you're drawing less power, much less than the vacuum cleaner. It has no way of feeling it's dumb. You know, AC power is as beautiful it is from the time of Tesla, right? It was, it still goes back to those days where they just knew how to make transformers. There's no real intelligence to AC power. It's same with fire. You know, it takes very little energy to actually start a fire. 
the, you know, much less than will pop the circuit breaker. So digital electricity is sending energy, these very small things that we call packets. And you can look at it like water coming out of your faucet. If it's high enough pressure, it's dangerous. And the analogy to pressure in the electrical world is voltage. That's the same, the emotive force that moves something is voltage and electricity and pressure in, you know, looking at things like water flow. But if you break that water into billions of little droplets, each little droplet isn't dangerous in itself. It's a small quantity of energy. Our technology takes, does that with electricity, breaks electricity in billions of, of quote, droplets, and then tracks that flow from one place to another. So if it goes into your body, it knows that it went to the wrong place. And that's never been done before. There's nothing out there in the world that can do that. It's uniquely new. And it's a little frustrating because once we get past that part, everybody says, oh, what are you going to do with it? But I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. This has never been done before. You know, now we could talk about what we can do with it, you know, but that's how it works. And it's compatible with data. You know, I have a bunch of it behind me in my, yeah. on the here. So yeah, the, the, there's a transmitter unit and a receiver and we're tracking, you know, the transmitters are over here and energy is coming in the back from a conventional source like AC. And those that look like computer servers are breaking it up into those packets and sending it overhead in that line over into receivers that put it all back together and power something. And in that space in between, it's pure energy. It's uniquely energy where everything in history has been, you know, power is just a manifestation of energy into work over time. It, in the space between the transmitter and the receiver, it's never manifested into power. It stays in the energy space. And so when you touch it, it doesn't hurt you and it won't start a fire. And then it goes back to regular electricity at the end to power stuff. You know, a lot of the stuff we power is like communications, infrastructure and stadiums and, you know, lights and controls and hotel rooms. Um, and then indoor agriculture, as you know, is a really nice application because we put the transmitters in the electrical room back here and then a bunch of LED lights, thousands of LED lights in these growth facilities. We're sending those packets right into the LEDs because they're they're naturally DC devices. What was the response as you started to have people test this or really showing people what it is you had developed? You know, did you understand what the applications would be early on, or is it something where you were really, you know, discovering yourself what it is you had created or invented and what the possible uses use cases for it would be? It definitely took some iteration. I mean, you know, the first place I went after was EVs, but it was too early even back then because the devices need to be compatible. The hard thing that we do is that at the end behind me where we convert back to regular electricity, we have to make the electricity compatible with conventional devices. So it goes back to being AC or low voltage DC and that compatibility was tough with electric vehicles because they wanted to take a AC input and it's hard to convert our stuff. It's expensive to convert it back to AC. AC is the thing we're trying to avoid. And then at the very end, we have to put a big box here to invert it back to AC. Yeah. So it wasn't our first sweet spot, you know, where the communications market already uses DC, like the standard in a stadium or a big building is 48 volts DC. And so it was much easier for us to get into that market first. So we started there and then we're just coming back to doing electric vehicles after all these years that we've been in operation now for about nine years since we, we had our first round of funding. And how do you describe it? Did you come up with that term digital electricity right away? Or is that something over time that you thought? Because <laughs> obviously, it's a really sexy way to sell what it is that you do that's different than what people might think of normally. Yeah, that was my, my partner, Dan Lowe, the business officer for the company. You know, I my, the the technical term or the protocol is called packet energy transfer. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, too technical. Is that it doesn't roll off the tongue? You know, it's a digital electricity is for sort of marketable. Yeah, and so yeah, so it was his idea to do digital electricity, and it, it is a much easier word to pronounce. The I should say though, you know, the industry we're the inventors of the technology, but there's other folks that are starting to get into the business, and the industry calls fault managed power for the new, the new standards that are being developed around digital electricity. So we we operate, you know, all our stuff is certified. It's lit, what they call listed technology. 
but the industry, as they got involved, they wanted to build a, you know, sort of a custom standard and custom code section in the National Electric Code for it. And that's kind of what's going on now. And that, that turns sort of a, a smaller bridge into a highway for the industry. So that's kind of a big thing that's happening right now. And what's been the response from the associations and the industries that provide, you know, these, you know, you talk about you turn over any electrical appliance and it's got the stamp on it, right, <laughs> that most people know. So, and these have been associations that have been around for decades and, and it feels like this is something that's new to them and it's a, a innovation in a space that probably doesn't see a lot of innovation, you know, over decades. So I'm wondering what those conversations with folks that create these standards have been like. Yeah, the standards are, they're being developed by folks that want to create digital electricity infrastructure or, you know, ecosystem folks that want to install it or service it, all that kind of stuff or produce software. I think the appliance, the appliance industry is a really good subject for, you know, full displacement in buildings things like refrigerators and stoves and things like that. We don't want to convert back to AC and devices that big. I think the appliance manufacturers are okay. They're not resistive in any way, but they just, you know, they need to see tens of thousands of sale, you know, unit sales before they're interested in converting. The indoor agriculture space was different because it's already wild west, you know, Vertical farming is a wild west environment. Everybody's thinking of all the new ideas now. We're not pushing against infrastructure. So that, you know, we work with lighting manufacturers and they're perfectly compatible with us in terms of, hey, let's try something new. There's no industry resistance. But in the big building applications, as you know, there's things they, that are called value networks, which are all the web of, of connections between all the folks that are working in that more conventional industry that might be disrupted or changed. Um, they will they will adapt over time, but it's always resistive at first. So that's something that takes a lot of education, ecosystem development, marketing. Yeah, it's it's a multi, multi-decade effort. But yeah, we see this type of electricity just being the next thing in electricity that, that will displace full AC infrastructure and buildings and probably cities. It'll take a while before it goes to, you know, high long distance transmission and things like that. So talk a little bit about your early forays into the vertical farming world. Was that someone from the company that suggested it or how did you guys get started or or get your foot in the door there? Well, you met my brother out at the ag show and he, yeah, we've been working together for a long time. Like he's an agriculture economist, a professor. And so we've been writing papers together at the sort of nexus of of energy and agriculture and things like that. You know, we looked at papers for like, you know, turning corn into ethanol and all the, you know, the pluses and minuses of all those different bigger infrastructure changes, you know, industry changes. And this this area of indoor agriculture was a paper we originally wrote, I think it was seven or eight years ago now about how the cost of LEDs were coming out down and efficiency was going up with the LED manufacturing. And if you go to areas in the country like Canada in northern latitudes, my brother is a professor at Laval University up there. The cost of heating a greenhouse for very little sun that you actually get in that part of the country, there's a trade-off where we actually saw that within four or five years, it wouldn't make sense anymore to have greenhouses and and those latitudes. And you know that was kind of what started all of this was these two big things coming to be- together, you know, the, you know, Volts have had a better way to deliver the electricity, which is a huge part of indoor farming. And then with the LED technology migrating to lower costs and, and more flexibility, it was sort of a, you know, as they call it, like a perfect storm event that pointed to that direction because we have intellectual property here at Volts Server about sending, as I mentioned, we, we send those packets directly into the LED array. And so we, we remove the drivers, you know, that on a conventional grow light, there'll be an AC to DC conversion device. So they call it a driver that sits on the light and it's the highest failure point for the light. That's the thing that fails first. So with digital electricity, we strip all that stuff off, you know, we eliminate thousands of those drivers and we centralize into cabinets like this that look like server cabinets in the electrical room and the packets go out into the, the grow area. But it's also data in there, right? So digital electricity is, you know, the safety aspects and energy are combined with data packets. So there's full control in the grow room. 
What's been the initial reaction? I mean, I meant the way you describe it, I imagine LED manufacturers are really chomping at the bit to, to test this out and to implement it and to really partner with you or figure out how to design or the new iterations of their LEDs and have them be compatible with what you're developing. And, and I imagine they, they, they're, they're pretty excited at that opportunity. Yeah, right now we have six or seven of them that have, have designed the lights. Some of them are deployed now in the field and others are you know, on our test benches here. Um, so we work together, we send them gear and they send us fixtures and we test them for compatibility. So I, I think there's a pretty good movement in the industry to move away from all those little drivers that are in the grow room to centralize architectures. And so the timing is just right. Like it was, it was an amazing conference, the one that you were at and we were at. Just you could see those those factors all coming together. There was there was a time, you know, when we went to ag shows early on, that people didn't believe you could grow food with LEDs. There was there was a huge, you know, I think it was only maybe six years ago where maybe seventy percent of growers grew with high pressure sodium. So you know the 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 big hot bulbs in the ceiling, and they just simply didn't believe that you could grow with LEDs. And, you know that's that's it, you know that's infrastructure. You know that you have embedded paradigms of how people see things working, it takes a while to bring it over. So obviously there's a, a, a direct correlation between what you're providing with digital electricity and efficiency and output with LEDs. Are there other facets or aspects of vertical farming not related to LED, any of the equipment where Volt Server could also allow for improvements in functionality or cost? Yeah, because we have that ability to move energy and data the uh, things like programmable logic controller boxes, all the controls out there, temperature sensing and, you know, controlling, you know, irrigation systems and all of that, all those things have control aspects. So, I mean, in the grow room, we're displacing all of the conventional power distribution and conventional communications lines and going to sort of one common system. We call that digital convergence. It's, it repeats itself in buildings, for example, it's in buildings you have you have electrical infrastructure where a big conduit's going up through the vertically in the building, and then you have communications infrastructure. And it's not just the equipment, but it's also the skill sets and the people and the software, right? So digital convergence is you have one common platform that has energy and data in it and one common software you know, protocol, like an IP, an IP protocol. Yeah, because the way you describe it, it it's almost sounds like a like a giga ethernet connection <laughs> that that's facilitating the the communication and the transmission instead of energy it's electricity which, which is fascinating to think about yeah yeah they, that that digital transformation is happening everywhere right like uh, they call it some folks call it iot so buildings and factories and farms and all of that they're digitally transforming to have their basically big computers taking in inputs processing and that, that requires the movement of energy and data. And the AC electricity just has, it hasn't evolved in 150 years. It's still the same. So the, you know, this is just part of that evolution. We're one component in the evolution of society, you know, towards this digital format, you know, digital transformation. I'm wondering, as with any disruptive technology in an industry that's been around for centuries, if there's an aspect of like awakening a sleeping giant and, and there's, you know, you, you talk about all these technologies and services that will be displaced, like the, uh, you know, I think you talked about the the converter boxes or anything that's in the way of that's not needed right now because of, of what Volt Server is doing. And I'm, so I'm wondering if there's any rumblings about folks that have been established in the space for a, a long time hearing what you guys are up to. Yeah. I mean, we're in a thousand buildings now. So yeah, it's out there. And the, you know, the effort that you saw, I talked about the standardization, the national electric code that, that was all of that happened there. I mean, because there was folks that were in the development groups for standards development that were there to see, you know, to disrupt us. You know, and other folks, you know, and I think that might have been, been how what started it all. Like, you know, folks that said, what is this crazy stuff? You guys should look at this because there's some funny business going on over there, you know. But I think as people looked at it, they brought in scientists, right? On any one time, we have three or four PhDs in these standards groups analysis sessions. And they started thinking, wow, okay, this is this is really different. And as that happened, 
you know, now we, we went from a, a point of view where we had people that were trying to like knock us off a ledge to competitors that want to come in and jump in. They're like, oh, yeah, this does look interesting. And that start started tilting over time where now the momentum is a bunch of folks that really see it as a new industry. And so our job is to cooperate where we can because the pie gets bigger, right? It, it actually will help us because other competitors give second sources where big building owners and big projects, they don't want to be stuck with a unique company. Um, so there's good aspects to it. Our job now is just to stay as the, at the front, you know, we're the, we're the first movers in the industry. So from a management perspective, we want to stay in that position. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It definitely would seem to have a, a target on you now that everyone has seen this new industry <laughs> that's, that's rising, but it, I think you definitely have first mover status. Are there patents associated with the technology you've created as well? Yeah, many patents. And I, I want to throw one thing in is that the, the electricians community, They've, they've been incredibly professional. You know, like a lot of folks made sort of jokes around the electricians are going to come around and, you know, would, would steal pipes or something like that. They, for one thing, a lot of them are geeks like us. They, they want to see the next thing. And the whole concept is kind of silly. Like digital electricity is a new type of tool for electricians. And it, it's almost like an electrician saying, hey, if you give me a better wrench, I'm not going to use that wrench because... You know, I want to spend more labor time turning screws, you know. No, they're, they're a business like any other business. They, they look for new ways and they are also enamored with new technology. So they've been gentlemen. You know, the whole industry that from my exposure has been nothing but good exposure with the, with the electricians community. So most of our systems are, they, you know, they're installed by electrician firms. So I just wanted to throw yeah, that's nice of you to, to shout them out as well, because that, that is true. They're, they are the front lines. And, and I'm, that makes me think of another question. Are you seeing applications in housing and, and buildings yet? Or is it still too early? Or it, this would seem like you talk about IoT, like house of the future. If you're going to have something that's future forward and uh, somewhat future proof, this would seem like the, the technology to be using. Yeah, the um, depending on the flavor of the current well, the current digital electricity is what's called a class two power circuit. And that, that has its pathway, as I mentioned, the bridge in the National Electric Code. That can install in a lot of places now. The big bridge that we're building is right now focused on commercial and also apartment buildings like MDUs, as they call it. That there wasn't enough time in this current code the 2023 electric code to get in residential. People wanted to understand it a bit more before they built the big bridge into residential uses. But I think that will come, you know, every couple of years, the code cycle goes through. And um, so I think residential will come after folks get comfortable with it in the big way in commercial. What are some of the applications that you can anticipate? You know, obviously you're seeing how folks are, are applying the technology now. And we, you know, we talked about LEDs and we, and we talked about some of the, the things that where people are putting it into active use today. But, you know, sometimes you would probably be surprised if you look forward, you know, five years and saying, wow, I didn't realize that this technology could be used for this. And so just kind of have your crystal ball in front of you. Can you think of applications that, you know, we, we may not even be able to, to dream about, but because of the nature of the technology, it would lend itself well to exploration in other industries? Yeah, I have a couple easy ones, but going to what you said, it is a new Digital electricity is a type of platform that industries form around. And that's kind of the fun of it is that you don't know what happens. All of a sudden you see all these new things happen. Communication is the same way. When you talk about 5G, everybody wonders, oh, we have all this bandwidth. We, what are we going to do with it? We don't have anything to do with it. All of a sudden something happens. It's, you know, that society expands exponentially from a technology standpoint is because of all those unknown things. But for the easy ones for me that I see for us coming up next is probably things like data, uh, data centers and electric vehicle charging infrastructure, you know, because it, it installs very easy at high power levels and it can go in like you can slot it into concrete where normally you have to dig down way deep under the ground to install electricity. But this stuff, because it's inherently safe, you know, you don't need all those like conduit, you know, you're seeing on the seal and those metal pipes. You know, conventional electricity is inherently dangerous. So it's like a wild animal. And a lot of the work goes into containing that animal where you can see in the, in the, the green wires here, digital electricity wires, there's no metal cage around it. The cages make it expensive. You know, like 
like containing a lion is much more expensive than <laughs> You know, so that's the differential that makes it from an economic standpoint that makes it sell. Once you have that sort of flexibility, you know, you think like if you look like building infrastructure, being able to use integrated building components like, you know, floor baseboards that have integrated electricity or even things like those 3D printed homes where, you know, they could print wires with this stuff inside the concrete instead of running conventional wire, you know. And that, that's the kind of stuff you can do. It, it doesn't have the ability to start fires anymore if you make a mistake or hurt people, wow. even when it's carrying really high power. Yeah, I think we're, if we have this conversation in two to three years, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised by some of the innovation that's happened in this space and, and the people who have been been able to think outside of the box because they don't have the constraints of trying to tame this, you know, this wild animal that is electricity and live power and, and the flexibility you'll have, you know, this vision we have of driving cars on the highway and having them recharge as they're driving along the highway and, and quick recharging of electric vehicles. It's something that, you know, we, we've dreamed about as a future, but I think with now you can see, you can see the, the, how that's possible with technology like this. Yeah, that's right. I'm curious what your thoughts are about uh, what's been happening in the vertical farming space in, in indoor ag and, and just, you know, Separate from the functionality and and the efficiencies you're, you're providing with Volt Server, what's been your perspective? Not traditionally coming from this industry, how you've seen it, and you know the opportunities that you're seeing in industry itself, because it, it itself is growing at a pretty fast pace as well. Yeah, I mean, we're a big believer in vertical farming. It's transformational. Uh, the you know, as you know, almost everything about it is good. I mean, it. it you most right now, most fertilizer that gets distributed into a field disappears into the ground and shows up in groundwater. And then that ends up causing, you know, fish kills and dead zones. And, you know, not to mention pesticides moving on to that, right? Like, uh, you know, different pesticides get involved with groundwater. You have all sorts of side effects from not just human effects from eating the stuff, but the pesticides getting into water streams and, and the ecosystem. And then you have water use. If you throw that on like indoor farming or vertical farming recycles water and land use is much less. So it all comes down to where we are, which is energy. You know, the, 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 the sort of black eye in vertical farming is the electricity use. And if that electricity is created using carbon-based sources, it's not good. You know, it's burning a lot more, it's creating a lot more carbon. So I think the big movement is going to be things like as we move towards carbon-free energy sources. And, and if you go to Canada, like, a, you know, one of our cannabis installations in Canada is, is hydropower. So it, it, it's pretty good up there in terms of renewable. And uh, we have a big Florida installation, Hardy Fresh, that is uh, solar-based. So they have the strangest thing you can imagine. You have this closed warehouse like building that no sun can get 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 into it they have a whole huge solar array outside creating electricity you know it's a wild it's wild to see but that was to get the carbon content down on the facility because the reason they do that the reason why that's so weird is because it's it's the sun is not free it's not cheap as people imagine it the sun is very expensive to manage and in a greenhouse the sun gets in the greenhouse and in the summer it gets too hot. And then you open the windows and the bugs get in. It causes all sorts of insecurity on the on the part of the farmer of not knowing what's going to happen next. And so that drove to having better control, you know, very, very controlled food production year round, right? And during COVID-19, it accelerated because people got threatened by food security during COVID-19. There was an increased focus on health. And another big one was because outdoor farming uses migrant labor with the borders closing down. It caused huge disruptions in food supply where the indoor farms like the Hardy Fresh facility I was telling you about, they have they have regular employees that come in every day. Right. And they get paid to come in on a regular basis. So it's stable. So it wasn't disrupted by the COVID event as a lot of the uh, other sources for food. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting uh, time for me to, to launch the show because I launched in the middle of COVID and, and it sort of brought an awareness to me learning about the industry, but also realizing the importance of local access to fresh food, the, the concept of food deserts, and just how much 
the supply chain was really affected by what happened during COVID and, and, and an awareness to people who may not have understood, you know, just how far your your produce needs to travel sometimes to get to your table. And it's one of those little little known secrets, uh, dirty little secrets of, of, of farming itself, which I think we're, have come to light. And so any opportunities to improve it from an efficiency standpoint or cost standpoint are certainly going to be welcome. And to your point, yes, the, the, the one little dark mark on vertical farming is the fact that it is energy intensive and this helps to solve that problem. So I think that's, I would imagine that the technology is being met with open arms from a lot of folks in the vertical farming industry. Yeah, it's really exciting for us, for sure. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's a, a hard question you've had to ask yourself recently? A lot for us is about our path to scale from a business. A lot of my, you know, I love the technical side of the business, you know, but I'm also the CEO. It means that I, you know, from a startup perspective, it really kind of hit me, you know, you know, it means chief executive officer and that means paper. It's a lot of office work, you know? So a lot of my, my worries and challenges are about scaling, you know, the, you know, there's so many different markets, like electricity is generic. It's which makes it beautiful. That's the abstraction that it provides, but it means it can go into just about any, anywhere. And it is, you know, so uh, a lot of my work is strategic on how how to grow the company quickly, but not too quickly. So we burn the company out. All that kind of stuff is the day to day stuff that are the challenges for me. But I love the work. I mean, I, I, what am I going to do? How can I complain? <laughs> lightning bolt. Given the audience and the fact that this is focused on on companies, people who are interested interested in the vertical farming industry, and people who work in the industry itself. Is there an ask that you have for this audience? Yeah, I think the industry is evolving. You know, it. I venture to say a lot of it started from cannabis, you know, and it started from folks that were in the black market. And it's very hard to cooperate. And um, I think the big challenge for everyone in vertical farming now is sort of a scientific approach. You know, it's it's one of the most interesting spaces I've ever worked in this kind of this sort of cross-section of biology and technology and all of that in purpose, right? But it's very easy to get off track because things are changing in nine different ways all the time. And vertical farming, what I find to be one of the most unique things about it is that, you know, folks talk about how corn used to be this big, you know, when it was first in the wild. And over hundreds of years, people you know, they cultivated it into what it is now, that's going to accelerate now because you could never hold things constant before like you can in vertical farming. Now you can hold all the, you know, the temperature, the humidity, right? Light levels, right? Things that get into the room like insects can be controlled now. And then you could tweak one thing and see what's going to happen. And that's going to mean it's going to be an exponential increase, in the amount of research and, and findings that we have in the industry because of that. It's really, really exciting. But folks need to cooperate, you know, share research and stuff like that. And we're the same, you know, we're commercial. So you want to hide, you know, you want to hide your secrets, but then co- but cooperation has always been the way that that's made us successful as a society. So I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, that's a, that's an important thing to highlight, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's something that I've seen, and in the course of these conversations, it's been consistent that you know to, to a person that's come on the show, just talking about the importance of working together, developing open standards, and and I think it's such a young industry that there are a lot of opportunities to to learn from each other, and so I'm, I'm glad you continue to bring that up. Can you talk a little bit about the roadmap? What you have planned out uh, to the extent that you can talk about anything that's you know. Three years is probably too long in this industry. So for the next 12 months, what, what has you excited about what you're working on at World Server? Yeah, the big release is coming up for us is we have a new, more optimized transmitter unit that is more power dense and lower cost for the customer. Software development for managing the grow areas and things like that. And then and probably what we call inline communications, which is is more advancements in that communication component of the pack. I talk about this energy packet thing as a little, as what's called an energy component and a data component. And we're always trying to pack more functionality in moving data and the the offset of moving energy and data at the same time. So we're going to be working a lot of sensors and controls and and sort of APIs for, for ecosystem partners. That's the big things going on with that. 
Oh, well, Stephen, I appreciate you uh, making time to come on the show. And, and I, I think it was really intriguing for me when I saw it at the conference and um, had an had a opportunity to chat with your brother about it and just learn more about it. And it just it just feels like it's something that's groundbreaking and, and innovative. And I want to applaud you and the team for for all the innovations you've created in this space and for and for being you know, pioneers in, in this creation of, of digital electricity, which for the vertical farming industry, I think is going to be something that was was it's it's needed for it to grow and to move and, and to sort of mature into its next phase. So it's it's, it's going to be exciting to see uh, what's what's on the horizon. Um, if folks want to learn more, they can go to voltserver.com. Any other place you want to send them if they want to connect with you or the team? Oh no, that's great. They'll find everything there. Okay. Well, thanks again for your time. It was, it was really uh, interesting to hear the backstory and the origin story of, of how everything got started. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thanks, Harry. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks again to Stephen for coming on the show and sharing his story. As always, I appreciate the time that my guests spend with me, and I don't take that lightly. And I appreciate you for listening and all the feedback we've been getting on the show. Don't forget, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP if you haven't done so already. I love reading those out on future episodes. Special thanks to our Season 5 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking for a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. If you're in this in the last week of June 2022, it's likely that I'm on a plane to Indoor Ag Tech NYC, indooragtechnyc.com. Looking forward to meeting a lot of previous guests and new friends at the conference in New York City in Brooklyn. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about how a podcast may be helpful for your brand and business. Speaking of conferences, tune in next week for my conversation with Brian Sullivan, the CEO of Indoor AgCon. Thanks for all you do to support the show. And until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.